Our Father, we come before you in prayer, humbling ourselves before you and asking, O God, for your spirit to work in us through your word. And may he convict us, may he convince us, may he turn our hearts to the Son. Lord, we ask, do your work in us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we begin with a look back over 100 years to November 11th, the year 1918. That should ring a bell for many of you, and maybe not for many of you as well. November 11th, 1918 was a day that many had looked forward to, because at 11 a.m. on 11-11-2018, it would signify the ending of the Great War, the war that would end all wars. And as many gave their lives, as many were, whose lives were transformed or even ended in that war, 11 a.m. came and an armistice was signed. And while many celebrated the ending of the war, what many believe was that it just set up for the next world war. Because... The Axis powers did not surrender on November 11th at 11 a.m. The war just ended. There were penalties levied against the Germans and other powers that infuriated them, that drove them into more and more anger and rage and drew them to began to prepare to, for their next wave of battle. And as we know, many years later, that war, the Second World War, would start. And at the end of the Second World War, at that time, they decided that an armistice would not be good enough, that a complete and full surrender They would not make the same mistake again. There would be no truce. It would be a full and complete German surrender. Unconditional surrender. And that is how the Second World War ended. If you have your Bible today, we're going to look at what surrender is. And how surrender is different than an armistice. How it is different than... A truce, how it is different than just a ending of the battle. So if you have your Bible, I'll invite you to open up to 1 John chapter 5. We'll be in verse, beginning of verse 18. And as you turn there, we have a verse we're emphasizing this year. A couple of verses we're emphasizing earlier in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 through 7. It says this, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light. People do need the Lord. And God is the light that people need. In him there is no darkness. If we say we have fellowship with him, with the light, and yet we walk in the darkness, we lie. How can you fellowship in the light and still be in the darkness? You cannot. It is a lie. 
If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Have you been cleansed from your sin? Are you walking in the light? That is our focus this year as we fellowship, as we're together in 2022. If you were here last night for a fellowship and game night, you had a good time. Uh, if you're not, we want to invite you back next time. Uh, it is good to be together with God's people. 1 John chapter 5, verse 18 says this. We looked at this last week. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. That will be our focus this week. Everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. You do not walk in darkness. You do not continue to sin and, and believe that you're in the light. If you are going to be a follower of Jesus, a partaker, as we looked at this morning, of Jesus Christ, you will do it in the light. You will walk in holiness. That is the nature of being a Christian. Christians do not celebrate the darkness, nor do they walk in it. Christians are light walkers. With that, the beginning of verse 18 says everyone who is born of God does not keep on sinning or continue in sin. As Christians, I don't know if you're anything like me, there are times that you get tripped up with sin, though. Desires come that are inappropriate. You act on them. Sometimes in a moment of rage, in a moment of, of lack of preparedness. In a moment of weakness, sin comes upon you, you will act on it. And there are times that you have to do maintenance as a Christian and say, why did I partake of that? Why did I do this? Why did I act this way towards this person? Why did I act unloving? Why was I greedy or selfish? Why wasn't I generous or compassionate? You act in those ways and there's maintenance that must be done. But look what John says. He gives us hope. We know that everyone who has been born of God, he doesn't say doesn't ever sin. He says he doesn't continue in sin. <clears throat> and so let me, let me state this for us this morning. Christians are confessors. Christians are those who are willing to confess their sin. Darkness walkers are those who try to cover their sin in darkness, who don't want people to see them or who don't want God to see them in their minds. But Christians are one who are willing to come to the light and say, I was wrong. Christian, I can tell you even this morning. As I was praying, I, I prayed those words, Lord, I was wrong. And if you as a Christian are not saying the words, I was wrong, on a regular basis, there may be a problem. 
If you, have, if you have justified everything that you do to a point that where you are not telling your children, your parents, your brothers, your sisters, your church members, I should not have done that. There may be an arrogance or a pride or a cloud surrounding your soul that needs maintenance. Christians are confessors. They do not continue in sin. And if you are not confessing them, then it, it proves that you're probably not sorry for them. And if sin doesn't bother you, then I ask you, is the Spirit of God in you, at work in you? If you are so callous so as not to confess sin, is, it, is the Spirit of God, is He able to do the work in you that He needs to do? I think the answer is no. And when that time comes, sadly, it may be a time for the Lord to break out stronger measures. Many of you who've been sick, you know you can go and take an antibiotic. And sometimes that antibiotic does its job. And sometimes you'll go back to the doctor and he'll say, ah, yeah, you're still not well. And what's he going to do? Let's try a little stronger antibiotic and then he gives you the one that really has the side effects and you got problems. Well, oftentimes the Lord will send his spirit in us to to bring light to sin in our lives and sometimes we ignore him. How rude. But we do that. And and oftentimes the Lord will raise it to the next level in a Christian's life. Hebrews chapter 12 puts it like this. Some of you probably can guess where I'm going. But the Lord will bring discipline upon our lives. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Hey, don't forget you are God's children. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord nor be weary when he reproved, when reproved by him. For the Lord, help me out, for the Lord disciplines who? The one he loves. What good father doesn't discipline their children? And we live in a world today that doesn't want anybody to have, nothing is wrong or right. How unloving can that be? You cannot love your children properly without discipline. It is impossible. The scripture tells us he who doesn't discipline his son hates his son. Hates his son. Discipline is a necessary part of love. And God, by his grace, does it to you, sons and daughters of God. And we think, well, that's not God. God's always nice. I want you to go find that Bible verse where it says God is nice. He'll find it and bring it to me. We'll talk about it. No, God is loving and gracious and kind. Not nice. God cares enough for you to discipline when you need it, Christian. 
And as we talked about in our Sunday school class, sometimes that's sickness. Sometimes God brings a sickness in our lives to discipline us. I mean, there are, there are many instances in Scripture. We can pull out my Sunday school lesson for you if we need to. We can walk through that. The Lord brings that to discipline us sometimes. Sometimes it's, it's hard situations or situations where we get in need. We've got situations in our church right now that are difficult for people. Oftentimes the Lord uses that to bring us to a place of being able to listen. And I share with my class this morning, C.S. Lewis said, sometimes pain, pain is God's megaphone that he'll use to raise a deaf and dying world. Sometimes we need to hear the megaphone of God who speaks to us through discipline, through pain. How about Moses? You know, Moses, one of the heroes of the Old Testament. When you think about him, man, he was mightily used of God, a leader. He had to keep all those rebellious folks in line, didn't he? Did the Lord discipline him? You betcha. He didn't even let Moses go into the promised land. And he said specifically, because of what you did, losing your temper... Striking the rock. And that rock symbolized Jesus. You can think about David. David, the, the great king. Son of David, they called Jesus. They had so much regard for David. He brought Israel into the golden ages. What about David? The discipline. David's child died right before him. David's son grew up and, and was a traitor and stole his kingdom. And then David, as he tried to protect his traitor son, was killed by his army's commander when he was told not to. And David grieved. David lost his kingdom because of sin. Specifically, God said. Now, do we think we're any better? Or that we don't deserve God's loving discipline? I, I certainly don't. I hope that you don't. So friends, I want to remind you that God is bigger than, than the situations we're in. And he is working in dimensions that we don't comprehend. And he often allows pain and even ordains pain in our lives for bigger purposes. So maybe if you're going through a difficult situation right now, could it be that the Lord is speaking through his megaphone to you? Could it be? We continue in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. 
But he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his what? Holiness. You see it? The Lord disciplines us to purge sin from us so that we will walk in holiness, in the light again. If we are not confessing, if we are remaining in darkness, his desire is to draw us back in the light. And he will use that discipline to get us back into holiness. Verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And there it is. God will ordain pain in our lives to bring us to him. Therefore, and here it is, lift your drooping heads and strengthen your weak knees. You feel discouraged? You feel down? You feel depressed? Here it is. Lift them up and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather let it be healed. So friends, I encourage you in the word of God to say if you are undergoing difficult times, it may be discipline of God. It may not be. But if it is, examine yourself and say, Lord, is, are there things that I need to purge myself of? Are there attitudes that I need to purge myself of? Are there mindsets that I need to relieve myself of? Are there jobs that you've called me to do that I'm ignoring? Is there ministry to be done that I'm being selfish and, and not doing? then maybe the Lord is bringing his megaphone to for you to confess that sin and move back into the light. It's done out of love. It's done out of love. For the Lord disciplines those he loves. Years ago, I saw a skit from one of the, some TV show. And if you remember a guy named uh, Bob Newhart from years ago, uh, it was this actor and he was on a thing and he was a, a counselor. And uh, you know the dry humor that uh, Bob Newhart had. And, and you younger guys, y'all have no idea who that is. But uh, you can go look it up. In fact, I'll show you. Y'all remind me. I'll show y'all. So this lady comes in for counseling and and. And, and he tells her, he says, I've got, I've got two words that will change your life. Stop it! <laughs> That's what he tells her. And she goes, no, but you don't understand. I've got a history. I've had things in my life that have happened. And he goes, stop it! Stop it! But you don't understand my, what my dad did to me when I was young. Stop it! Sometimes we think of... Our sin is thing. There's so many excuses we can come up with to say, well, the, I, my sin is justified. I grew up this way. My environment was this way. I was born this way. I've, uh, you don't understand who my husband is. You don't know my wife. Repent. Confess your sin. Leave the darkness and turn to the light. Walk in holiness. 
those things, while they might be legitimate, do not prevent us from coming and confessing our sin before God. The world will tell you, oh, this thing happened to you. No wonder you're this way. You're this way. Stay this way because you're this way. And that is not biblical, church. It's not. It's anti-biblical. And it is anti-Christ teaching. God has called us to holiness. God has called us to be overcomers. God has called us to overcome the things that are difficulties in our lives. And he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The Spirit of God is in you. Are you telling me that the Spirit of God is unable to overcome a past situation or a trouble or a fear? He's not. He is Almighty God. Confess your sin and come unto Him. James said it like this. James chapter 4 verse 7 8. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Let me read that again. In fact, will you read it with me, please? Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit yourselves to God. Now, let's go back to World War I. At the end of the war, countries were tired They were tired of war. It had transformed their culture. It had taken a generation of men and decimated them. They were tired of war. They wanted the war to end more than anything else. And so an armistice happened. A mutual Agreement to end the war. Friends, can I draw a parallel for us? There are no spiritual armistices. And I don't know how to pronounce that last word in a plural form, but there are none of them. God does not accept a mutual end with us. For Jesus Christ to receive you, there must be complete and full surrender. The rich man came to Jesus and said, I've done all of the commandments. What must I do to enter eternal life? And Jesus said, one thing you lack. And he went to his greed. you You might be doing all these other things, but you still have sin in your life. And what did that man do? He grew sad because he was unwilling to surrender. Unwilling to surrender his stuff for the kingdom of God. You may be a man or woman in church this morning. Who thinks you're pretty good. Done most of the good things. And you think that God will... Is open arms, accepts everybody as they are, which is true, but probably not true in the way most people understand that. Because what many people say is God will accept anybody, come as you are. And that's 
true in word. But the idea that many people have is, and I can just stay who I am. And God's going to receive me and accept me and love me no matter what I do after that. And that is not true. You must come not in an armistice to say, look, I'll mutually come to you, God. You mutually accept me and keep me as I am. Who do we think we are? We're going to tell God how to receive us? Scripture says, repent of your sin and so be saved. We cannot come with an armistice to God. We must come with complete and full Surrender. So friend, I want to ask you to examine yourself and say, did you come to God with a World War I armistice idea? Or did you come to God, did you come to the cross with a Jesus, I surrender all mindset? And it matters how you come before God. The scripture says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil. Don't embrace the the lies of the devil and say, well, I just am who I am. You don't know my history. That's who I am. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. If you draw near to God in the light, he will draw near to you. You cannot draw near to God from the darkness and say, accept me who I am. And I'll be yours. Sounds like a good agreement. That's not the gospel. The gospel is repent and believe. Romans chapter 8 verse 7 says this. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not do what? Submit to God's law. Indeed it cannot. The heart that comes to God for an armistice is a heart that is not submitting to God. I'm going to say that again. The heart that comes to God for an agreement, for a ceasefire, is a heart that does not submit to God. So the nature of conversion is this. I, Lord, surrender myself to you wholly and completely. I receive you, your blood, your blood, your flesh into me. I receive it so much that I want it to control me. I want the spirit of God in me to control me and for me not to control myself. And I'm willing to give you all of my past And all of my future because I am unconditionally surrendering myself to you. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now. With all that said. Last week, we looked at a sin that leads to death. And I've listened to many folks, Eve, last week and this week. What is the sin that leads to death? Why are we not to pray for it and those sorts of things? 
And I think this ties in what we've just talked about. This surrendering and confessing to God ties in very much so. What is the sin that leads to death that he talks about? What I believe that is, and I believe it's hard to say that a Christian is committing that sin that leads to death. Many people say, well, if a Christian is continuing in sin and and is not responding to God's discipline, then the Lord may take their life. And, And that may be, we look at Ananias and Sapphira. A situation like that where the Lord takes the lives of what we assume are believers. Uh, the First Corinthians chapter 11, there are those who are in the church that are sick and, and even dying uh, because they're walking in sin. Is that possible? It, it certainly is. And I, and I don't want to say that it's not. <clears throat> but I read an article this week by Crossway. Uh, They're the ones who published the ESV translation. There's some other things out there, but if I can quote from that. While there's been much discussion about the identity of the sin that leads to death, we should look for clues within the context of this letter. 1 John has been particularly concerned throughout the letter with sins that show that one does not have eternal life abiding in him. That is... With sins that do, in fact, lead to death. John has particularly identified such sin as a rejection in the belief of Jesus as Messiah and Son of God. Unwillingness to obey God and pursue holiness. We just talked about that. And failure to love fellow believers. Thus, sin that leads to death is a deliberate refusal to believe in Jesus Christ, to follow his commands... And to love one's brothers. You could also liken this to a blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. A rejection of the Holy Spirit. Those who, who have heard the word. Heard the gospel. And continue to say. Yeah, it sounds good. But I'm unwilling to unconditionally surrender to the Lord. As we look back. He tells us in. In verse 16, that one should not pray for those committing this sin. Or he does not say that you should pray for those that are committing this sin that leads to death. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. He will bring repentance, confession, redemption, light to him. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. Last week I asked a question. I didn't get to the answer. I said, are there things that we're not supposed to pray about? I think, Mary, I think you asked this question at one point during a Ask the Pastor session. Are there certain things that we are not supposed to pray about? Well, what do you think? Are there certain things that we're not to pray about? Jeremiah chapter 7 gives us an instance where the Lord specifically commands them not to pray about a certain situation. Jeremiah 7, 16. As for you, do not pray for this people or lift up a cry or prayer for them. 
And do not intercede with me, for I will not hear you. Do you not see what they're doing in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood, the fathers kindle fire, the women knead dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven. A false god. They're idolaters. And they pour out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me to anger. Is it I whom they provoke, declares the Lord? Is it not themselves to their own shame? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, my anger and my wrath will be poured out on this place upon man and beast. Upon the trees of the field and the field fruit of the ground, and it will burn and not be quenched. Sin that leads to death. I believe in this case, yeah, idolatry. They sought other gods and found their delight in serving not a god, but a false god. And the Lord says, don't pray for them. Why would the Lord say not to pray for them? Are we not to pray for the lost? Are we supposed to pray for those who are lost? Marie says, yeah. I can tell you in our Sunday school class, we prayed for the lost this morning. Was that wrong? Well, that's a good question. That's a hard one. But I do believe we should pray for the lost, those we care about. I believe this was a situation where those had made a, uh, a decision to follow other gods. And, and I believe there are situations like that today. We don't always know those. Let's go back to the passage and, and remember that John doesn't forbid prayers for those who are committing this sin. He just says, I'm not saying that you should pray for those. So, so here's what I believe it comes down to in wisdom is this. The Bible, our family, we've been learning this verse this week. Where are you, family? There are three things we've been learning. One of them is be joyful always. The second is what? Pray continually. That's what we've been learning this week. And in all things, give thanks. That's 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. But pray continually. And, and here's, here's how I'll explain this to you and, and offer it to you as the way that I've settled it. There are only so many times of prayer that I have. I would love to pray for Barry Wilcoxon all day, every day. But Barry, I don't do that. I'm sorry. I know you do that for me, but I don't do that for you. I just don't. Because I only have so much time in prayer. But as I look out, I see your faces and I see people I'm praying for regularly. But it may not be every day. I believe we're to use our prayer time wisely. I believe we're to invest as much time as we can in prayer. But there are certain things that are not at the top of of my list. And I believe that if you would say the same thing. And I believe that's where John is going. Is look, I'm not saying that these things, these people who have rejected God and who are living in open 
and full rebellion against God. There are, there are other prayers that you need to address in a more faithful and clear way. So that's what I believe John is saying. Specifically in Jeremiah, I think this is a command of God. Don't pray for them. My judgment is upon them. If you pray for them, you are praying against my will. I have decreed judgment upon them, and that is what will be. Look at Moses. Moses prayed for wicked and rebellious people too. But here, specifically, God said it. So I do believe we pray for the lost. Pray for God to convert. If we don't pray for the lost, I think that's, that's wrong. And if we do pray for the lost, we must believe that God can do something about their lostness. Otherwise, why are we praying for the lost? That's a whole other topic. But yes, church, we pray for the lost. We pray for just about anything that we can. But we focus our prayers and we commit our prayers to certain things that are more, that are worthy of our prayers and our time and our effort. So let me read that passage if I can one more time to you. Are y'all still with me? All right. Let me read this passage again from verse 16 forward. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask. God will give him life. Pray for your brothers. That's what I said last week. Tell people you're praying for them. Look around at the faces. Pray for people. Pray for your family members. Tell them you're praying for them. Pray for people in tragedy. Pray for people who are sick. Tell them. God will bring life oftentimes to those. To those who commit sins that are not leading to death. This is specifically pray for those in sin. That they might confess their sin and turn to God. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. And we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who has been born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Next week, we'll finish verse 18. We have tarried here. There's been so much in this passage. But next week, your homework. And Donald, I trust you'll pass this on to Chick. Who is the one who protects him? In verse 18, that's your homework. Do some research. Who is the one who protects him? Who's the one who protects and who's the one being protected? Who is that? That's an important statement there that we probably just gloss over because it, it's a little This The end of this chapter 5 is well, it's difficult. It's not an easy section. Um, I heard it this way, and then I'll, we'll close out. I heard, uh, and sometimes, you know, when, you, when the apostles are writing... Oftentimes they're writing on parchments that they have. They're writing on, on finite pieces of paper. They don't have word processors. They don't have a, an endless number of characters. Uh, and in our day and age, you think of when, I, when we send out remind text, you've only got 256 characters. So I'm, I'm typing out, uh, we're meeting at church, 4 p.m., bring something. Because I don't have enough words. And... and you think about these apostles here at the end of the, the thing, the letter. They get to chapter five, and so I'm like, man, I'm, I'm just running out of, 
All right, do this, do this, and that. Keep yourself in idols. All right, y'all. See you. Um, gives them these things. So anyway, I think that's part of what may be going on here. Let me close by saying this. If you are not confessing your sin, if you are not confessing your sin, I believe John is cautioning you that you may not be a believer. If you do not say the words, I'm sorry, please forgive me to God on a regular fashion, please examine yourself, examine your attitude, examine your humility, examine your full unconditional surrender to God. It is necessary. If you are not a believer, let me share this with you. We are a church of followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for our sins and all of those who would believe in him. That he was buried and that he rose from the grave three days later. We believe that he's coming back to rescue us and to give us life, eternal life, without sin, without disease without dying without tear but we believe that it also that he requires of us that we repent of our sin that we humble ourselves from being the authority in our lives and we give authority to Jesus Christ and says Lord whatever you would have me to do that is what I do you are my king you are my Lord we do not come to Jesus and offer ourselves to him To keep control of our lives. That Christianity is a life of surrender and holiness unto God. If you want to do that today. If you're wanting to to come out of the darkness and into the light. I invite you. Pray to the Lord. Lord, I am sorry. I unconditionally surrender to you. Would you receive me? By faith, I trust and believe that you can save me from my sin. And you can do that today. There's nothing that this pastor or this church can do for you to save your soul. That is something only Jesus Christ can do. And you go and you pray to him. Lord, save my soul. Let's pray together. Our Father, we come before you. And we say, Lord, help us. Lord, if there are souls that need to be saved this morning, may they cry out to you and say, Father, save my soul. I want to give myself to you. Lord, if there are those of us Christians in here who have been walking in sin and not confessing our sins to you, Lord, we pray that your spirit overcome our sin. God, transform us from the inside out. Change our will. Change our delights. To be holy delights. Lord, equip our church to do the ministry work of the gospel. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.